The gospel we just read is so theologically deep. I've never heard this comparison, but I um, realized it this week. What happens on that road to Emmaus is just what happened in the Garden of Eden, just in reverse. What happened on the road to Emmaus is what happened in the Garden of Eden, just in reverse. In the Garden of Eden, man is, is a friend, a true friend of God. He shares the same heart and mind with him. All of his affections, his actions, are like God's. And then, after someone walking with man in the garden, he is tempted to eat a food that will damn him, that will open his eyes and allow him to look at himself in shame and then run from God, where he only sees himself after eating this fruit. But then you have the road to Emmaus, the Garden of Eden happening in reverse. We have these two disciples, not one of the two eleven, but who have turned their backs on Jerusalem. They are walking away from the place where salvation happens. They are walking away from the crucifixion site. And walking away from Jerusalem they kind of seek to just return to ordinary life. Yeah, we heard of this, we knew of this man, Jesus, who we hope, we knew was a prophet mighty in uh, deed, and we hoped would bring about the redemption of Israel. After encountering Christ, they just kind of want to return to ordinary life. But Christ breaks open the scriptures for them and breaks the bread, what Pope Benedict calls the first mass, and their eyes are opened. But in the opposite of the Garden of Eden, when their eyes are opened, they do not see themselves and only themselves in shame, but they see Jesus. They recognize him. Only for a moment, and then Jesus vanishes. The question is, like, what happens in between to where whenever they're walking in despair and then saying, we're not our hearts burning within us, What causes that transformation? What is it? The theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar says something very interesting with regards to Jesus' friends and the resurrection. We would imagine that Jesus' friends would all be very excited initially whenever they see Jesus risen from the tomb. Maybe met with applause, you know, whenever they see that he is risen. But every person who encounters the risen Lord, Balthazar says, falls, if not physically, then spiritually. Mary Magdalene, Saul at Tarsus. We have those who fall spiritually, the eleven who are in fear of the upper room, fear of the Jews. And so these men, Balthazar says, who are walking, are not able to recognize Christ. It's like they almost forgot that Jesus said, I will raise on the Thursday, on the third day. Not on Thursday. I will raise on the third day. Um, <laughs> on Sunday, I know that much. Went to school. Um, they will raise on the third day. It's like they forgot. He said that several times in the Gospels. How'd they forget? Balthazar says it's because of their bad consciences that they forgot is because they were involved in the killing. Whenever we have a bad conscience, 
Whenever our sins are part of the killing of Christ, then we have reason to lose hope. Because we say, if Christ came back, then I'd have to be sorry. Again, the two men want to return to ordinary life. Regardless, Christ raises himself from the dead. I bring this up because why does Christ rise from the dead? Because he wants to restore what we had at Eden. He didn't rise from the dead just so that we can go to Mass on Sunday and behave better. Like, that's not why he rose from the dead. He didn't rise from the dead so that we could say our prayers at night, give a good amount of money to an organization, so that the world could be a little bit of a better place. That's not why he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead so that he could live and act within us. He rose from the dead so that we could be saints. He gives his grace so that he can animate us, so that we can be like him again. For no other purpose did he rise from the dead. I know that I oftentimes do not live this way and like to just say, let me meet the status quo of what the church here at Wisdom lives, rather than looking up to Christ. I know that we don't live this way often, where we're just trying to skirt by and do enough right things to where we feel like we've appeased our own conscience. But not all men live this way. This past week, I went to a funeral at my former parish at St. Bernard. A man named Jackie Combe died. Jackie Combe was a man who died in his late 70s. He was involved in the Curcio movement. He, everywhere that you went, he would always wear um, coveralls, like overalls, blue jean overalls. He had a thick handlebar mustache. Every person he encountered felt loved, would always, and then he would always say, he was never afraid to profess Christ, because he'd say, I'm not going to hell for nobody. And, I mean, if you think that's funny, that's great. But uh, he meant it. Um, but he would say that. And he wasn't always like this. Um, whenever he would tell you open and honestly, when, like 30 years ago, he did not love his family, he didn't love his wife, he didn't love his God, he only loved himself. But on his deathbed, what he said was, I want the spiritual care unit to be at the funeral home so that everyone who walks into my funeral is in sanctifying grace. That is, they have the life of God within them. Jesus living and acting in them. We oftentimes treat life in the state of grace as if it's, I no longer feel bad, I can receive communion, and I'm probably not going to hell. Great. And we leave it there. St. Thomas Aquinas says that the life of grace is the, are the germs, like the seeds, that bring out eternal life. And it's true. Like a lot of times we don't treat seeds with great reverence. Because we doubt that seeds, for instance, like acorns, if I told you, hey, that handful of acorns right there, that could be the oak tree in front of the cathedral. You'd be like, no, they're not. And then we might throw them away or whatever. But that is grace. The eter- like grace is the seed that begins eternal life within us. And this is why Thomas says that 
the smallest amount of sanctifying grace is more valuable than the whole world. The smallest amount of sanctifying grace is more valuable than the whole world because it is eternal life begun within us. Jesus gives us his body and blood so that our eyes might be opened to the reality that we truly can become his friends. Those two disciples lacked hope because they thought, we thought he was going to redeem Israel. We thought he would overcome our sinfulness. How often do we think, yeah, like, I have this sin, I'll never get over it. This is just how I'm built. This is the way that I'm made. But Christ rising from the dead and giving us his body and blood says, hey, wake up, open your eyes. I desire to live within you. Be, be made clean. He's opening our eyes to a hope that we are too afraid to ask for because we are too afraid to fall, as Balthazar says, before his feet. We are too afraid to admit that we are part of the killing, that we are not like Christ. We are not as he would desire us to be. Not just good and decent men, but those who participate in the divine nature. And so at this very Mass, we will have um, men and women who will restore our hope in renewed youthfulness of spirit as we pray in the collect, who are receiving their first communion today in that hope of the resurrected Christ, saying we don't desire to be Catholic just because we liked the liturgy. We desire to be Catholic because we desire to have Christ live within us. And we desire to truly be with him, to be united with him in the Father. Let's be inspired by their hope. Inspired by the desire to have our eyes open. So that eternal life may be begun within us. And we treat it with the appropriate care it deserves.